grab your sermon notes last Sunday. Uh, in my absence, Pastor Stan talked about this subject for all of the singles in the house. Help, I'm single, so if you were not here, you might want to check that out, especially if you're single. So today's the second part of uh, this uh, two-part series. I want to talk about marriage. Help, I'm, I'm married. So today we're going to talk about the joy and the blessing and the privilege and the challenge of being married. I would uh, say that Outside of choosing to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the second most significant important decision I made in my life was to marry Charlotte, to engage in the marriage relationship. God saw me and said, man, I got to get him some help. (laughs) And he blessed me with uh, my wife. We've been married now for, for 36 years, and you would think after 36 years that I would have it all figured out, but I'm still a work in process. You can ask my wife about that, and she would give an amen on that. Um, but I would say marriage has been like one of the greatest blessings in my life. But to be honest this morning, I would say it's also been one of the areas of greatest challenge in my life. Marriage has been amazing, but it's not always been easy. And if I had time to take a survey this morning of married couples, I think most would say the same. And most married couples today would say it's been good, but it's not always been easy. And what someone forgot to tell me when we got married is that it takes work to make marriage work. And talk about that more a little later, but as a 21-year-old, I thought, this is what I thought, I was so naive, I thought you had a wedding and then marriage happened. Just kind of like magic, right? But what I discovered is like marriage doesn't just happen. Like marriage requires investment. Marriage, healthy marriage requires work. You know, it's been said that marriage is like twirling a baton, turning handsprings, or eating with the chopsticks. It it looks easy until you try it. And then you realize, what? You realize you need help. Certainly we need God's help, but we also need the help of coaches and counselors and and encouragers along the way. And I came across an article the other day that reveals why marriage can be challenging at times. It revealed the differences between men and women. I want to share with you a few of the differences highlighted in this article. The first difference is this. A man will pay $2 for a $1 item he wants. A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item that she doesn't want. Figure that out. (laughs) A successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend. A successful woman is the woman who finds such of a man. To be happy with a man, you must understand him a lot and love him a little. To be happy with a woman, you must love her a lot and not try to understand her at all. (laughs) Any married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. (laughs) A woman marries a man expecting he'll change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, and she does. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. (laughs) If you're married, you've probably had that experience, right? Well, it's these differences that make marriage fun, but at times it's challenging. It's challenging to invest in marriage in a way that it's it's healthy and, 
and thriving. Now, the obvious here today is not everyone's married. I understand that. We have single adults here. We have a lot of our students here. So I hope, simply because we're talking about marriage, that you don't tune out and think, well, this message is not for me. Um, maybe someday you would choose to embrace this marriage relationship. And I think there's some things we're going to talk about this morning that can be helpful for you when and, and if you choose to marry, if you choose to engage in the marriage relationship. You know, it was Gary Smalley who said, life is relationships and the rest is just details. I think that's so true. Life is all about relationships. And one of the significant relationships we share with or to gather in life is the marriage relationship. And what I've discovered after 36 years of marriage and as a pastor who's worked with a lot of married couples is that marriage can be fulfilling and it can be life-giving or it can be um, drainful and painful, draining and painful. It all depends on how two people choose to invest in their marriage. If, if two people invest well, then this is what happens. They enjoy the benefit and the blessing of that investment. However, if two people choose to not invest in the marriage relationship, then what happens is they suffer the consequence of that. And that the marriage relationship is not thriving, actually it begins to deteriorate. Now, the quality of the marriage is determined by the investment. So we want to be those who invest well. So that's what, I talk with, that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. But as we think of the marriage relationship, we have to start with this. It was not man's idea. It's not like we came up with the idea of, hey, let's create the marriage relationship. No, it was God who created marriage. He created the marriage relationship for us to enjoy, that the marriage relationship would not only bring honor to him, but it would bring fulfillment for our lives. It's interesting that outside of relationship with God, the first relationship that God created was the marriage relationship as he created a helpmate for Adam. So he created Adam, and then he created the helpmate for Adam being Eve, in that God performed, if you will, the first wedding, and he formed the marriage relationship. And with that, I believe he's given us some insight as to how the marriage relationship should work. So we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to look at this blueprint that God gave us for how to make marriage thrive. So if you have your Bibles, look with me to Genesis chapter two. I wanna begin reading with verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and notice they become one flesh. They're no longer two, but now one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here we have the first marriage relationship. 
Have you ever wondered, just kind of allow your mind to kind of think, what, would, what was Adam's response when he first laid eyes on Eve? So be mindful of this. So he, he was in a deep sleep. He wakes up, and for the first time, he, he sees Eve. Now, the scripture tells us he's named all of the animals, you know, he, and like there's no one suitable. There's not a helper suitable for him. I mean, there's the hippotamus, not quite a match, right? There's the giraffe, not quite a match. There's the zebra, not quite a match. And so God creates this helpmate for him. I think, this is what I think, maybe I'm reading into scripture a little bit, but I think the first time that Adam laid eyes on Eve, he says, whoa, man, like he was amazed, right? And that's how we have the term woman. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but I do believe that Adam was taken back as he laid eyes on this helpmate, this partner that God had created for him, the partner that he would have to share life with. But what's clear from scripture is that marriage was initiated by God. Not only did God create both Adam and Eve, but he created the marriage relationship. He formed a relationship that would bring honor to him and fulfillment for Adam and Eve and for all of those who would choose to follow his plan. Again, what do we have in Genesis 2? We have God's plan, his blueprint, for healthy, vibrant marriage. So marriage was initiated by God for our good and for his glory. And within his plan, the design for marriage, get this, is a covenant relationship. This is really important. Covenant relationship. Now when a man and woman get married today, let's say they get married in the state of North Carolina, if I'm officiating the wedding, at the end of the wedding, there's a document that I sign called the marriage license. It's the legal aspect of the marriage. But a marriage relationship is not a contractual relationship. It's a covenant relationship. There's a piece of paper that goes to the courthouse, but before God, as God's designed the marriage relationship, it's not contractual. It's a covenant relationship. If you look back to verse 24, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the scripture says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. No longer two, but now one. So so as the two become one, what happens? They enter into this covenant relationship. So a biblical marriage is designed by God for our good. Again, it's not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a covenant relationship. The covenant relationship is unconditional, it's unlimited, and it's unending. A covenant marriage is more about trust than it is about terms. A covenant relationship is more about character than it is convenience. A covenant marriage relationship is is more about giving than it is receiving. It's intended to be a reflection to the world of, of the very character of God. That was God's plan as he created the marriage relationship. So let me quickly give you just a few differences between contractual and covenant, because I think oftentimes we don't understand what we're engaging in. We think it's a contract, not a contract, but a covenant. So here's a few differences. A contract is based on limited liability. A covenant is based on unlimited liability. In other words, it's all in. I'm all in. I'm not part in. You don't get like 50%. No, you're all in. It's 100%. 
A contract is conditional in nature. A covenant is unconditional in nature. A contract asks, what am I getting from this marriage? A covenant asks, what am I bringing to this marriage? That's really different. A contract is convenience-based. A covenant is commitment-based. A contract is for a specified period of time. A covenant is forever. In other words, it, it doesn't end. So God's design for the marriage relationship is a covenant relationship where a man and a woman, get this, they die to themselves that they might become one. That's God's plan and God's design for the marriage relationship. And what we have to know is that if we reject God's design for the marriage relationship, then the marriage doesn't thrive. In other words, you can't say, I'm not going to listen to what God has to say about marriage. I'm going to go do my own thing. What I've come to discover most of the time, like 99.9% of the time, when individuals say, no, I'm going to go do my own thing, it doesn't work. Want to know why the divorce rate today is 50% or higher? Not just in our community, but in the church. Individuals have said, I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the end result is it doesn't work so well. If you want your marriage relationship to thrive and be fulfilling and life-giving, then you have to follow God's design. And it's all about this. It's all about covenant relationship. You're more focused on what you can give than what you can get. You want a marriage that's thriving? Husband, be more focused on what you can give than what you can get. Wife, be more focused on what you can give than what you can get. You're more focused on serving your mate than being served by your mate. You're more focused on what you, how you can add value to your mate than how you're getting value for yourself. See, as we take God's design for the marriage relationship and we put it to work, this is what happens. We get to enjoy the benefit and the blessing of a thriving marriage relationship, a life-giving relationship. But for that to happen, we have to be willing to invest in the marriage relationship as we're living out God's design. So so I want to give you the few minutes I have left. I want to give you a few points of action to help build a life-giving marriage. You know, as I think of marriage, marriage is complex and complicated, but it's easy. It's kind of like managing money. Managing money is complex and complicated, but it's easy. And one of the things I've come to discover about managing money, if you do about three or four things consistently, uh, you can make the money to work for you right? Not rocket science. There's, there's a, f- a few basic principles about managing money that makes money work for you. And I think it's the same thing with marriage. Marriage is complicated and complex, but what I believe is there's a few basic things. If you consistently do a few basic things and you continually go back to those, you can build a thriving, fulfilling, life-giving marriage relationship. It's really back to the basics. And so this morning, I, I want to share with you five basic, when I do premarital counseling, and these are five of the things I talk to, I, I, I talk about with couples who are getting ready to engage in the marriage relationship. So here's the first one. First thing you need to do to build a life-giving marriage relationship is grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, as the husband and wife invest and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, they are better positioned to invest in the marriage relationship. Here it is, folks, it's really simple. As you grow in maturity in Christ, and as you grow up in Christ, and as you become more like Christ, man, let me tell you what you're gonna be able to do. You're gonna be able to better invest in your wife and in the marriage relationship. Why? Because you're more like Jesus. 
And wives, it's the same. As you grow up in Christ and as you are maturing in your faith, and you can better invest in the marriage relationship. There's a, there's a simple triangle illustration that really kind of lays this out for us, makes it so clear. So, so here it is. We have uh, on the bottom of the triangle on the right, you have the husband. The bottom of the triangle on the left, you have the wife. And as you're growing in relationship with God, notice what's happening. Well, you're growing closer together. So I would say, first and foremost, you, you're married, so you're enjoying the marriage relationship, but each individual has personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So invest in your relationship with Christ, and as you grow in Christ, what, you become a better marriage partner. And if you're a better marriage partner, how many of you know, most likely you're going to have a better marriage, right? So what, we want to invest in we want to invest in spiritual growth. We want to continue to grow and mature in our relationship with Christ so we can bring a better self to the marriage relationship. You know, oftentimes what I find, especially when individuals come to my office, and it's amazing how folks find their way to my office to talk about marriage things. I'll call it things, not problems. They come to talk with me about marriage things. And it's interesting how they think the problem's always someone else, and the someone else happens to be their mate. And oftentimes they're not looking in their own life as to what about me? How do I need to grow in Christ? How do I need to become more like Christ so I can better add value to the marriage relationship? So the first, the first and basic principle is you need to be growing in your relationship with Christ. Here's a second point of action to build a life-giving marriage. It's this, work to make the marriage work. Work to make the marriage work. You know, one of the greatest deceptions that destroys marriages is that marriage just happens. Like you find the right person, you get engaged, you have a wedding, and then marriage happens. And I would say from my experience, both in being married and, and working with couples, is that marriage doesn't just happen. Matter of fact, it won't happen unless you work at it. It won't happen unless you invest in the marriage relationship. There's a scripture in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 that reads like this, Be not deceived, God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, it's that that he'll reap. So then we need to ask this question, what do I want to reap in the marriage relationship? What do I want to see happen in our marriage relationship? And whatever that outcome would be that you would define, then you need to back that up and say, okay, what do I need to sow to reap that, right? Because it's not like you, you sow corn and get potatoes, right? So we need to ask, well, what do, I, what do I need to sow so that I can reap healthy marriage? So if you want to reap the benefit and blessing of a thriving marriage, then you have to invest, you have to work at building into your mate and in your marriage. This means that you're investing quality time together. What's that called? It's called sowing the right seed. That means that you're, you're cultivating uh, this, this culture of appreciation in your home, like you're saying thanks a lot. But you're building gratitude. What is that? It's sowing the right seeds. It means you're looking for ways that you can add value to your mate. What's that? It's sowing the right seed. It, it, it means that, um, that you're, you're taking marriage classes. You're going to maybe a marriage seminar every once in a while. Why? Because you're investing into the marriage 
relationship. Folks, you, you can't get around this simple truth. Here it is. The quality of the marriage is determined by the quality of the investment. Bottom line, quality of the marriage is determined by the quality of the investment. So if the marriage is not good right now, you might, be, you might ask this question. How have I been investing? What have I been pouring into my mate? What have I been pouring into the marriage relationship? Here's the third point of action to build a life-giving marriage. It's this, deny yourself as you serve your spouse. Deny yourself as you serve your spouse. You know, marriage is the process of dying to yourself so that you might love, serve, and honor your spouse. You know, the whole concept of two becoming one sounds so romantic, doesn't it? But here's the reality. Two cannot become one until two individuals are willing to die to themselves that they might become one. Can I tell you, friends, that's what creates most of the conflict in the marriage relationship? That we don't want to die to ourselves. We want to promote ourselves. We want to platform ourselves. We want what we want. But for two to become one, again, it requires death to self. So we, we deny ourselves so that we can, we can serve our mate. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us some great insight into how to build a thriving marriage relationship. Listen to how this reads. Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So notice Paul's advice here. First he says, wives, you should submit to or you should serve your husbands. And then to the husbands in the house today, the, the direction I think is even a, a greater challenge to us. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So think about that for a minute. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life. He surrendered his own life for the benefit, for the blessing of the church. And Paul says to husbands, that's the way you're to love your wives, to serve them, to serve them in that fashion. You know, through the years, I've worked with a lot of couples who find their way to my office because they have marriage problems. In reality, they don't have marriage problems. What they have is they have people problems that show up in the marriage relationship, right? They think, it's, they think the problem's the marriage, but the problem's not marriage. Marriage is good. The problem is the two individuals in the marriage relationship. And most of the time, it's interesting, I was thinking about this, most of the time and most of the couples I've worked with, what I've come to discover is, I don't want to say like 100% of the time, but maybe like 90% of the time, 90% of the time, what I find, the root problem is someone got selfish in the marriage relationship. Someone got to living like it was all about them. Someone, could be the husband, could be the wife, or maybe it could be both. They got to thinking about what they wanted rather than what their mate wanted. They began to make it all about them. They were living for themselves, not their mate. And what I've discovered is this becomes the root problem oftentimes when there's people problems in the marriage relationship. It's selfishness. In other words, we've lost this mentality of, of serving. 
You know, the right perspective of marriage is this. It's that God's granted you the privilege of serving your mate for the rest of your life. Right? So this is how it plays out. For all of the men in the house today who are married, God's granted you the privilege. This is not what you have to do. Hear me, this is what God's blessed you to get to do. You get to serve your wife for the rest of your life. Women, that was your place to say amen. So I'm gonna say it again. For all the men in the house today, God's granted you this. He's granted you the privilege of serving your wife for the rest of your days. Thank you. And for all the wives in the house today, what's God granted you? He's granted you the privilege. Not what you have to do, it's what you get to do. He's granted you the privilege of serving your husband all the days of your life. Come on, man, (laughs) jump on that one. See, this is what I believe. I believe that a thriving marriage relationship is one in which the husband is trying to outserve the wife, and the wife is trying to outserve the husband. And in that, what you create all of the ingredients for a thriving, fulfilling marriage relationship. Here's the fourth point of action to build a life giving marriage. And it's this, discover your spouse's love language and target the need. Love language. Several years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Gary Chapman that wrote a book that I think every married couple should read. And if you're thinking about getting married, you should read the book. And the title of the book is The Five Love Languages. Five Love Languages. And in this book, Gary Chapman identifies five significant love languages. Here they are, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. For most everyone, male and female alike, we have a primary love language and a secondary love language. It's the action that most communicates love to us. Let me pause here for a moment and tell you a story. I came to figure this out Early on in our marriage relationship, I I had in my mind, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought every woman loves flowers. So in the courtship, when I was trying to win Charlotte over and convince her I was the best thing happening, (laughs) and then even into the first couple years of our marriage, flowers all the time. I don't know how much money I spent on flowers, but I spent a lot of money on flowers because I thought like every woman loves flowers. And we were, I don't know, three years into our marriage relationship, and one day my wife said to me, I I really don't care for flowers. (laughs) And it was this light bulb moment. And in that, you know what I discovered? I discovered that my wife's primary love language is quality time, not gifts. Like gifts, they just don't mean much to her. But quality time speaks volumes to her. And so for everyone in the room, again, both male and female, you have a primary love language and a secondary love language, and it's that love language, again, that communicates great value to you. So as a married couple, what you need to do is you need to identify your mate's love language and make sure that you're communicating love in a way that fills their love tank. Because this is what I've discovered. If needs are met and love tanks are full, people are fulfilled. And fulfilled people create thriving marriages. Really simple. Identify the love language and keep the love tank full. So be proactive. 
what I'm saying. Here's the final point of action to build a life, to build life-giving marriage. It's be willing to own your failures as you work to resolve conflict. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect husband. Right? There's no such thing as a perfect wife. The reality is, is that we're flawed human beings, and when two flawed human beings come together in the marriage relationship, this is what you have. You have fertile ground for problems. Right? That's why there's conflict. Matter of fact, let me just take a quick survey. For those who are here today who are married, have you ever had at like at least one argument or point of conflict in your marriage? Let me tell you why. You're married to someone who's messed up like you. And in that, there's conflict, right? I mean, let's just be honest about it. We all have our issues. We all have our flaws. We don't like always, we don't always get it right. And when I meet with couples who are planning to get married and we're doing premarital counseling, one of the truths that I always share with them is this, you're going to have problems. You know, at this point, you know, they're in this season of their lives where they just think life is wonderful, their mate's wonderful, like they're, they're wanting to sit in the same chair. I can't even get them to sit in separate chairs in my office. You know, they're kind of goo-goo-eyed. And I said, no, really, you're going to have problems. And it's like, it doesn't connect. Then they get married and six months later, they're in my office and they want to talk. Because they discovered what I was talking about. This is what I know. There's no such thing as a problem-free marriage. That's part of the process. Matter of fact, this is one of the things I've discovered too after 36 years of marriage is that the two greatest ways that, that God has refined my life, the first has been the work of the Holy Spirit. The second has been through marriage. Marriage will refine you if you embrace the process. Because again, it's the process of dying to yourself. It's the process of allowing your life to be transformed. So this is what I know. Marriage creates the opportunity for problems. The problems because none of us are perfect. But, but when, you, when you fail, when you're wrong, here's what you want to do. It's really simple. Own the wrong. Own the wrong. Why do we have such of a hard time with saying, I dropped the ball. It was my fault. I'm sorry I was wrong. Why do, we, why do we want to move to the blame or trying to shift the fault to someone else or, or just live in denial? That's so unhealthy. Listen, for, for all of the wives in the room today, listen, your husband already knows you're messed up. And vice versa, for all the husbands, your wife already knows you're messed up. In other words, they, they already realized that. So when, when you fail, and you will, listen, none of us are perfect. Again, take the pressure off yourself. None of us are perfect. When you fail, simply own it. It was my fault. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Man, that's so healthy. So many times we run from that. We run from our failures and we hide from our failures rather than taking ownership. So simply own your failure, seek forgiveness, and move forward to a healthier marriage relationship. And when there's conflict, 
Be committed to resolving the conflict in a constructive, healthy manner. Don't, don't allow conflict to go unresolved. Unresolved conflict erodes the marriage relationship, so, so be willing to address the issues constructively. And if necessary, listen, seek outside help. It's okay to say, hey, we need a marriage counselor. Like, we're not resolving this problem. It keeps coming up, and it keeps coming up. Listen, maybe you need some help with that. We get all hung up about, you know, I, I, we can't call a marriage counselor. Listen, if you have a foot problem, you don't have a problem going to a foot doctor. If you have a toothache, you don't have a problem calling the dentist and saying, hey, can I get on your schedule? Listen, if you have a marriage conflict that you're not able to constructively resolve, then get some help. Get a specialist, a coach, a counselor to come alongside you to help you resolve the issue. So don't allow the small issues to become big issues that can destroy the marriage relationship. Be committed. Be committed to work to resolve the conflicts so that you can build help into the marriage relationship. You know, Charlotte and I have been married, as I mentioned, for 36 years. And what I can tell you today is that marriage is good by God's design. Marriage is fun and fulfilling as, as we share life together, and both the good and the bad. But marriage takes work, requires investment. So I've said throughout the message today, the quality of the marriage relationship is determined by what two people choose to invest in the relationship. If you invest well, you'll reap the benefit of a life-giving relationship. So my challenge to you today is invest well. Invest well that you might enjoy what God intended when he created the marriage relationship. Amen? This is how I want to conclude today. If you're here today and you're married, I want you to stand to your feet. Not that I want to exclude anyone else, but specifically today, I want to pray for husbands. I want to pray for wives. Because again, what I know is marriage is good and it's fun. It's been so life-giving for me. But also understand it can be a challenge. I understand problems come. I understand we don't always make the right choices. So today, I'm going to pray for couples that you would experience all that God intended when he created this marriage covenant. Maybe you've not been doing so well up to this day, but my prayer for you today, from this day forward, is that you would begin to say, I'm going to invest differently. I'm going to sow, I'm going to sow the right seed to reap the benefit of a thriving marriage relationship. Lord, I thank you today for these men and women of God who are standing, Lord, who've committed their lives to their mate. Lord, who've engaged in this covenant relationship as you, as you design. Lord, I pray today for both husband and wife, Lord, that they would, uh, that they would be an awareness of the responsibility. Lord, certainly it's a privilege, but the responsibility that comes with marriage. Lord, that they would just be aware that it doesn't just happen. 
that it requires work. Lord, I pray that from this day forward that they would be willing to make that investment. Lord, I pray today for the men of God who are standing, Lord, that, they, you, that you would give them the ability to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to serve their wives in that fashion. For the women of God standing, I pray, God, that you would give them insight and understanding into their mate, into the marriage relationship. Lord, that they would find fulfillment in serving for the man that you've blessed them with. And Lord, in that, may there be life. May there be health and vibrancy. And Lord, when the problems come, and they will, when the conflict comes, and it will, Holy Spirit, I ask that you give them insight as to how to resolve the conflict. Lord, not just to make it through the conflict, but Lord, literally to thrive, to grow through the conflict. Lord, that they might enjoy the fullness of what you intended when you created the marriage relationship. God, I pray blessings today for every married couple in the house, for those watching online. Bless their marriages, bless their union, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.